Welcome to Impact, podcast ministry of St. Andrew Lutheran Church in Middleton, Wisconsin. Impact features interviews with gifted Bible teachers who will help you gain a greater understanding of Scripture so that it has a greater impact on your life. The host of Impact is Mark Jenstead, the Staff Minister for Nurture at St. Andrew. Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening to this podcast ministry. God's Word is precious and it is powerful. And that is why this time you are spending with God's Word is time well spent. And today I'm going to add two more P words. Why not, right? God's Word is present with us right now through this podcast. And what a wonderful privilege it is to spend the next half hour in the Word. And my guest today is Pastor Mike Novotny. I'm at the core in downtown Appleton, and we will talk with Pastor Mike after this opening prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Use it to help us fix our eyes on Jesus, to keep worry and fear out of our minds and hearts. Use your word to align our lives with your will, to fill our hearts with your love, and to keep us aware of our sins and your grace. Amen. Pastor Mike, welcome back to Impact. Hey, thanks for having me back. Great to have you back again. Today we're going to talk about two topics with Pastor Mike. I'll talk about those here in just a minute. But first, Pastor Mike, I want to ask you three unrelated questions that are unrelated to our topic. They're unrelated to each other. They're just kind of fun, random questions. (laughs) Sounds good. And uh, you did not get these questions ahead of time, so you are in the hot seat. The hot seat. My hands are sweating already. All right. Number one, favorite... Appleton restaurant. Oh man. I love e- I love eating out so much. I was at Taco John's today earlier today, but that's not the no, favorite. No, no. It's good, but oh. you got to do better than that. Um so there's some members of our church who own a brewery and pizza place called Hop Yard, which is like a half mile from my house. So my wife and I walk there all the time uh, for a good drink and they always have fresh pizzas, really creative stuff. Uh, we also love there's a restaurant called Draft about a mile from our house, that you can't go wrong with that menu there. Oh, man, I'm super hungry. I could eat out, I think, once <laughs> or twice a day and be super happy. So I'd be broke, and I'd probably be robbing from Jesus in, <laughs> in some way with bad stewardship. But yeah, I'm going to Top Yard and draft. All right, good. Don't ask me again, or I'll change my mind. Yeah, exactly. And those are local restaurants. They're not They're not big chains. Correct. Yep. So that, that's what I was looking for. Very yep. good. Uh, number two, what's the latest you have slept in? in the last year. Oh, does this happen to you? As I get old, I'm 42 now, and it's hard it is. for my body to sleep in. Even those days where I'm like, yes, I got nothing going on. I can sleep in. And it's like you turn off the alarm clock and you, your body still wakes up at the same time. What happens to me are days when I can't sleep in because of my schedule. Mm. I feel like I could. Mm. On days <laughs> when my schedule's free, I can't. Yes. And that's frustrating. It sounds like a verse from Ecclesiastes. It's meaningless, <laughs> yeah. meaningless. I tried to... <laughs> so, I mean, do you, ever, do you ever get to 8 o'clock these days, 9 Ooh, o'clock? You know, 8 would be rare, mainly because I can't stay up that late. Like, I'll just hit the wall, and making it to midnight is kind of a huge deal. So, yeah, I, I feel like in the last five years, my body has just kind of settled into going to bed eh, 
between 10 and 11 and waking up between six and seven. Okay. But how about if I was asking teenage Mike, like when you were 17, 18, 19, could you hit noon? Yes. I remember my mom waking me up for like a late lunch. (laughs) So it's like, it's one o'clock. You really need to get out of bed. And now that's so baffling to me, but yeah. yeah. My son does it to this day. He does. I I shouldn't say it that way because he's only 15. I I think his best days are ahead of him. Wow. He can hit one o'clock pretty easy. Wake him up for dinner. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Last one. Because we do have Bible to talk about. I suppose. Yeah. Uh, Your next family vacation. (gasps) Do you have one planned? We do. We do. So I'm super excited. In a couple months, I get to study some Spanish in Argentina. So that's just me and Buenos Aires for three weeks. Uh, I get back on like a Tuesday, and that Thursday, my family and I leave for a, a two-week road trip, I think, of seven national parks. So we're doing Badlands, Wind Cave, Grand Tetons, Yellowstone, up to Glacier. We're crossing the border into Canada for like this epic hike where I hope we don't fall off a cliff. Mm-hmm. So this could be the last uh, podcast I ever do with you. <laughs> Coming back through Teddy Roosevelt and I think uh, last stop in Minnesota. And we get this. Our family has camped once in our entire lives, like one night. So 92% of our family members and friends think we're going to be turning around after like two <laughs> nights of sleeping outside. So right. we'll, we'll, we'll see. It's against the odds, but we're looking forward to it. Oh, so you're camping along the way every stop. Um, yep. Tents. Yep. Mattress pads. Yes. I, I've been like on a binge of, I, right. I know more about camping than I ever thought I would in my life. So well, very good. Yeah. God willing. That happening. sounds great. You're, yeah. It's going to take you through South Dakota, my home stomping grounds. Oh, okay. Badlands. Have yep. you ever been there? No. I've oh. seen Mount Rushmore, okay. but never the Badlands. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm excited for you. Yes. Sounds like a great trip. I know. I am too. All right, let's get to the Bible. Hmm. So two topics we're going to talk with Pastor Mike about today, folks. Uh, these are two things that are uh, biblical imperatives, but they're two things that people are generally uncomfortable with, and Pastor Mike is here to help us get comfortable doing them. Hmm. The first is confessing sins, not to God, but con- confessing sins to one another. Hmm. Yes. And then the other topic, which we'll get to second, is confronting others about their sin. Mm-hmm. But first, confessing sins to others. Why this topic? Ooh. Because I asked you, what, what can we talk about on impact? And, yep. and you came back with these two topics. So yep. that's, that's my question to you. Why, why did you pick these topics? Yeah, confession and confrontation. Uh, I think so much, so much of the Christian life and so many blessings hang on these two things that very few of us do. I think for most of us, there's something we're really struggling with, something that keeps us from progress and growth or joy in our relationship with God or peace, just like guilt, shame, feeling stuck. And God really has this clear path to help us, but we're so scared, we're so maybe ashamed, we're so embarrassed that most of us keep it between us and Jesus and hope maybe this is the year that that changes in me. And so that's what I thought, like, the Bible nudges us or maybe two hands shoves us to like, God has put you in a community of believers to help you, to pray for you, to encourage you, to keep you accountable, to give you gospel grace in Jesus. And I have a hunch that most of us, you know, I think of Martin Luther's day when you had to go to the priest and he kind of broke away from that. Like, no, we can go right to God through the name of Jesus. But we've done something that Martin Luther would be severely disappointed in is we have lost, for the most part, human to human confession which he found is an immense comfort. So yeah, I'm excited to unpack that with you. Okay, so you said at the, at the beginning there, uh, essentially you are talking about this because it's a blessing to us when we do these things. For sure. Okay, 
You already answered this question to some degree, but elaborate just a little bit. Why is it not enough for us to confess our sins just to God? Yeah. Uh, I would say in one way, it is enough. So 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and he will forgive us. So I don't want to imply like, well, until you tell another human being or your pastor or your small group, you can't get to heaven. That wouldn't be true. Jesus is enough for all of that. Um, But I would say that there's some Bible passages that talk about uh, spiritual prosperity and healing and growth. There's things that I've seen constantly in my ministry, in my own life, that sometimes people can't believe the gospel because they think they're the exception to the passages. And they really need another Christian to look them in the eye and say, no, 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 even for that one, Jesus forgives you. Um, So, you know, I've, by the grace of God, kind of escaped an addiction that I had that I just kept between me and Jesus. And for years, I told him I was sorry. And sometimes I doubted my own salvation. But to be honest with you, Mark, I rarely saw progress or growth until I dragged that kicking Mm. and screaming into the light and told another Christian. And it lost a lot of its power. Um, It wasn't a light switch, but man, like I I remember that it was at April 24th. I remember the day because just the the grip was lost in that moment when I confessed this sin to another person. And you want to help others receive the same blessing that you received by doing that. Absolutely. The devil is such a, he's such a good deceiver because he convinces us that all these people are going to judge us. You know, if you say that, everyone's going to, oh, you know, ew, take a step back. And I've lost count the number of times when people find the courage to confess something in a Bible study, in a friendship, and then God's people step up and do what God's people do. They help, they love, they don't run away, they take a step towards, they relate, they make their own confession. So, I mean, to me, just like a game-changing habit that so few churches practice well, so few Christians practice well, is confession to other people. Yeah, what, what we're getting at here is the next question, essentially, is what, what are barriers? What, In other words, what keeps us from doing this? And, yes. and what you just said is uh, the prevailing barrier, because people will judge me or, mm. or they'll, they'll have this opinion of me yep. that I don't want them to have. In your experience, yep. nothing could be further from the truth. When yeah. you're talking to other Christians, that's not how they will respond. Can, but can you talk a, yeah. a little bit more about uh, why this makes us uncomfortable, why this makes people uncomfortable? What are the barriers to confessing sins to one another? Yeah, yeah, lots of them. There's a, there's a kernel of truth there. Gossip is a real thing. The Christians you're going to confess to are not perfect people. They might be tempted to whisper or judge. So it's not totally unreasonable. Maybe that's happened to someone who's listening where they told an immature, gossipy person and were betrayed. So that's real. Uh, I think that's a good barrier to consider. Um, It's interesting to me in Galatians 6, where Paul talks about bearing each other's burdens. That comes right after Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit. And he kind of makes this connection, you know, those who are spiritual, those who are producing fruit should bear each other's burdens. So I think he gives us a little hint there, like don't just grab a mic and tell the world. There's some people who can't be trusted maybe with some of those more personal things. But if there are people that you know who aren't perfect, but they're walking with the Spirit, they really do love Jesus and you, like that's the perfect person to tell. Um, a lot of this teaching comes out of my own experience. I've been doing, you've done uh, small groups, life groups, in your life before? Yes. Yeah. We have a lot of them at St. Andrew. It's a blessing for the people that uh, take part. We call them growth groups. Okay. Yep. So I'm familiar. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing those for over a decade. I've encouraged people, tried to lead the way with pretty candid, vulnerable confession. And I, every single time that I've seen that happen, it has been a blessing. 
I'm trying to think of a single confession mm-hmm. someone made, whether it was about something sexual, drunkenness, drugs, fear, anxiety, bitterness, hatred, apathy, that people in the room didn't react really well. They didn't always know what to say, but the good conversations that happened, the bonding, the fellowship, often I've seen in those groups, it's not until someone confesses their sin that a group really gets close. You know, when we keep our distance and make, well, here's what I got out of chapter two, and let's pray for my grandma who's having heart surgery. <laughs> like, those are good things, but that does not true fellowship make. What I've seen is when you talk about your weaknesses and confess your sins, Christians become a community really, really fast. Two passages here that uh, you suggested that we take a look at. Yeah. Uh, let's read them. Can you take the Proverbs one, and then I'll take the one from James? Yeah. And then we'll circle back and have you... Tell us what we learned from each passage. Yeah, I'd love to. So Proverbs 28, verse 13 says, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And James 5, 16, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. That's a verse that gets a lot of mileage, and now we have it in in context. Yes. First, the Proverbs verse, uh, an opening thought on that verse. Yeah, it's just kind of a general spiritual truth. If you conceal your sins, you don't prosper. Uh, And even non-Christians know this, right? If you're struggling, well, let's not take a sin thing. Let's say you're struggling with PTSD or alcoholism or anxiety and depression. Like, what does the world tell us to do to make strides in those things. Hunker down by ourselves, lock yourself in a closet till you fix it? Like, no, the the answer in almost all those situations is to bring it into the light, talk about it, learn from other people, get advice and wisdom, get encouragement, learn that you're not alone. And, you know, who would have thought this ancient book of wisdom says, yeah, spiritually, that's kind of how it works too. Um, Try to hold on to your reputation, conceal things, and the proverb says you won't prosper. Um, you're going to miss out on so many good things that God wants to give you. Uh, But, here's the contrast, the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So the beautiful thing about being Christian is that if if I confess my sins to you, as a Christian, you know enough to give me the mercy of Jesus. If I told my non-Christian friends, they might say, oh, sorry, (laughs) or... Uh, yeah, I've been there too, or it's okay, we all have bad days. But as a Christian brother, you can give me the mercy, the forgiveness, the salvation, and the blood of Jesus. What my heart truly needs more than anything else, like you in the church are qualified to give. And so I love that. Here's the threat. If you're the one to prosper spiritually, hiding things isn't going to work. But if you have the courage, by the grace of God, to come out into the light and you can confess those things, man, you're going to find the mercy of God spoken from the lips of brothers and sisters who love the mercy of God, too. And your personal experience and your experience in working with other Christians, does it get easier? Yes, Um, especially when it's confession number two to the same person. You know, I've been in different small groups, and I got to say, when you don't know yet, to be the first one to jump into the deep end of the pool, like, I think I can trust you people, but I'm not sure yet we're getting to know each other. So I, I think it does get easier, like any spiritual habits, but I won't make any promises that my palms don't sweat and the devil doesn't whisper in my ear. Um, I just preached a sermon kind of related to this at our church two Sundays ago, and 
Um, Mark, it was so cool. I, I had the best week as a pastor where I just told people, just say it. Like, whether it's to me or someone else, like, bring into the light. And what, what do you know? This woman comes forward, meets in my office. She, she's so nervous, but she says it. For 50 years, she's been keeping a secret that made her feel condemned in the eyes of God. 50 years. She confesses it. My gut reaction to her is, you know God loves you, right? Her gut reaction is, but how can he? And I'm thinking, 50 years in the back of your mind is, how can God love me after that? And so to grab my Bible and pick any gospel passage and just preach it directly at this moment and lift that burden, and just to hear her reaction afterwards of like the sheer peace and joy of thinking, oh yeah, Jesus didn't just die for other people. Like, he died for me. And I wonder how many times she had seen the cross in the past 50 years, but she didn't know the power of it and didn't believe the specificity of it for her sin until that very moment. So, yeah, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Yeah, and hearing that story, I can I can really understand what this verse means when it says, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. How, how can you prosper as a child of God, when you're hanging on to the shame of sin, mm. in, in this extreme case of 50 years, you can't. Mm. That was going to be my question, my next question about this, this uh, you, you cannot prosper. Mm. You're hanging on to shame, hanging on to guilt. H- how, does, how does that keep one from prospering? Yeah. One of the best results of believing the gospel is peace and joy. You know, I can put my head down on my pillow at night and say, even if I've messed up a million times, even if it was really bad and embarrassing and there are consequences, I am loved by God and his face is shining on me. So to me, the best prosperity is in a big house or lots of money in my bank account. It's knowing that I'm a dearly loved child of God because of Jesus. Um, so that's the gift I want every Christian to have. Um you know Dietrich Bonhoeffer, mm-hmm. that name? So he's a Lutheran pastor back in the days of Hitler and the Nazis. He wrote a little book called Life Together that is just a gold mine for this kind of power, um, where he says, man, uh, the Christian brother who is alone with his sin is very alone, but the one who brings it into the light finds such mercy and community, the gospel spoken from another person's lips. Some, sometimes just it, it comes in color where the words of the Bible can seem black and white, so, yeah, prosperity, joy, peace, fellowship, relief, a clean conscience, sleeping well. Um, if this podcast went 60 minutes, we could double that list of prosperous blessings that come from confession. Yeah, for sure. Thinking about people in Scripture that did not confess their sin, they concealed their sin. Mm. Well, Adam and Eve, mm. originally, right? Yep. They're hiding from God. Yeah. I think of... David. Yes, 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 yes. Psalm 32, right? Your hand was heavy upon me. My bones were aching inside of me. Like David, that's probably the perfect place to turn. He just shows the contrast of before I confessed and after I confessed. And then I confessed, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So let everyone who's godly seek you while you may be found. So yeah, he's the like the test case of keeping secrets will make you very spiritually sick. All right, passage number two. Uh, I read it a while back. Let me read it one more time. James 5. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful 
and effective. Mm. Opening thought on that verse? Oh, man. You said this is a two-hour podcast, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the context of James 5, um, James is basically saying, hey, you're going to have, if you're happy, you should sing songs of praise. If it's a really tough time, he actually says, call the elders of the church. So the context is, I'm in a rough spot. Maybe it's physical, maybe it's spiritual. I've reached out to my church family, especially my pastors, my leaders. They've come to my house. Therefore, verse 16, confess your sins to each other. That's interesting. A pastor confessing to the person who called them. You get to pray for each other, not just for the church in general, but specifically for each other. And I love this promise. Why? So that you may be healed. Um, I shared my story a little bit before, and that really was it. It was healing. It wasn't salvation or forgiveness. I had that before I reached out to others, but that healing, that prosperity that came from open confession. And James is so logical. Well, why does that happen? Because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So if you're listening right now and you say, yeah, I believe that prayer works, well, James would say, well, then let someone pray about your sin. If that's powerful, if temptation will be lessened by someone else praying, let someone pray for that temptation. Don't do this like Christian image management where I'm going to try to impress everyone at church. My goodness, that is not why God gave us the church. So on Sundays, we could all gather together and fake it. (laughs) Are you impressed? (laughs) Like, no, God, I mean, the reason God brought these people together who love and know the gospel so they could help you through all the ups and downs. And that's why James uses those great each other, each other, each other, pray for each other, confess to each other. Then you're going to be healed. Something powerful will happen. You talked about small groups, growth groups. Yep. Is that the ideal setting for this type of confession, or are there other mm. settings that make this the place to do it? Uh, Facebook is not the ideal setting. <laughs> <laughs> so some people overshare in a very public way. Um, I really do. I mean, there's obviously one-on-one friendships where it's maybe the easiest to do this, and that's very powerful. Big church gatherings, I, I think that's a little bit awkward. You don't know what to do with it. You know, if I was in front of a hundred people. But I think kind of in the middle, between the 1 and the 100, is the 10 people gathered around the table. Um, because there's more than one person, it's more likely that someone else can relate. Um, it's more likely that someone else is going to make their own confession, since you made it safe. You're going to have more people praying for you, more people to check in on you, more people to remind you of Jesus. So, yeah, I've man, I've just seen this again and again. Those small groups with open Bibles are just the place where spiritual growth takes off. I love church, obviously, as a pastor, but when someone gets in a group like that, and it's not just sheer Bible study, but real fellowship, doing life together in light of James 5.16, such great things happen. And this confessing sins to one another, so you start, um, Hmm. someone else gets the courage to do it, and they they receive that same blessing, that same peace, so this can be contagious? First, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I sometimes call it the, the boomerang of confession, If I'm waiting for you to confess your sins, you often won't. But if I throw my confession out there in your hearing, you often say something very personal in return. All right. Topic number two. Let's do it. Confronting others about sin. Oh. (laughs) If it wasn't awkward (laughs) enough, come on. Let's talk about your sin now. (laughs) So again, why this topic? Yeah. Um, I think unconfessed sin in me and unconfronted sin in you are both like a cancer. We all wish they didn't exist, but ignoring them uh, is so foolish because it will spread 
and real people will get real hurt. So, and we all experience this, right? Someone in our family has an anger problem or a drinking problem or a whatever problem. And all of us know about it. All of us are probably talking about that person. But when no one talks to that person, they get worse and worse with their sin. A, a little drinking problem becomes a big drinking problem. A little drift from church or the Bible becomes a person who hasn't gone to church in five years. Um, other people get hurt by that sin. So it takes a lot of courage to stand up and say, stop it. You can't, you can't do this. Um, but most of us don't do that. We, we think we're going to pray and we're going to talk about that person, and hopefully they'll see their own blind spot and sin. But no, the Bible says constantly talk to that person, confront, rebuke, correct. In our who am I to judge you culture, uh, I don't think this happens much anymore, but I think the prophets and the apostles and Jesus did it once or twice, if I'm reading my Bible right. Jesus says, do not judge. Mm. And so people like to uh, use that verse. So if you come and confront me about my sin, mm. I will say to you, Jesus says, do not judge. Mm. And so now it's your turn. So can you help us understand <laughs> yes. what Jesus really means when he says that? Yeah, I had a professor when I did some grad uh, school work who said, John 3.16 used to be the most well-known Bible passage, and now it's Matthew 7, verse 1, do not judge. Um, if you would just read Matthew 7, verse 2, and 3, and 4, and 5, you'd have a quick answer. Right, so Jesus says, if if I'm judging you for something that I give a free pass to myself on, then absolutely don't judge. If I'm getting drunk on the weekend and I'm confronting you for your drinking problem, oh, don't judge. If I'm going to say to my wife, you're always trying to argue with me and get what you want, while I'm in the process of arguing with her, trying to get what I want, <laughs> Jesus says, don't do that. That's, hip- that's hypocritical. It's like trying to pick out a little speck of sawdust in someone's eye when there's a two-by-four in your own. Like, that's just not going to turn out well. So his teaching is, first apply the Bible to yourself, and then, I think that's Matthew 7, verse 5, and then you can see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So he wants us to deal with the speck, the sin, in other Christians. He just doesn't want us to start there. That's going to blow up for everyone involved. Okay, thank you. Well said. Thanks for that clarification. Hmm. Uh, So, confronting people about their sin. Are we talking about confronting fellow believers, or are we talking about the guy I work with, or the lady who's yelling at the ref at my Mm. son's basketball game, or the teenager who has a foul mouth at Arby's that's near me? Yes. Who are we talking about here? Great question. I think 98% of the time we're talking about in-house fellow Christian confrontation. So are there some times when I need to confront someone no matter what they believe about Jesus? Might I have, you know, a loved one who's in an addiction and they're not a church person that in love I'm just going to say something for sure. Um, If someone's abusing a child or their spouse or significant other, I don't care if you're a church person or not, I got to confront you to help that person. But 1 Corinthians, I think it's 5, verse 12. Uh, you and I were just talking, I'm memorizing some Spanish, Spanish Bible passages. So this one is, ¿Acaso me toca a mí a juzgar a los de afuera? Where Paul says, is it my job to judge those outside? No, aren't you supposed to judge those inside? God will judge those who are outside. So if I'm going to jump on every person who uses Jesus' name in vain in my soccer league, I'm going to spend 90 minutes judging. 
if I have to confront everyone who doesn't love the Lord their God with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm going to have to quit my job as a pastor because there's plenty of sinners in my community to judge. So the, the Bible, for 99% of the time, says in-house. If someone has claimed to be a follower of Jesus, but they're not following Jesus with their life, confront them. If they say, I'm a Christian who believes in God, well, you don't seem like you're behaving like a person who believes in God. Uh, and this, to me, this is an important point, because a lot of Christians, we spend, ha- we spend way more than half of our time freaking out about what the world is doing. Can you believe the movies? Can you believe the stuff? Can you believe the culture? It's like, it's going to hell in a handbasket. Well, of course. Of course, these are people who are going to hell. Of, of course, if they don't know Jesus is their greatest treasure, why would they follow his teaching? Why would they pick up a cross if they don't know about the crown of salvation? Why would they deny the desires in their hearts sexually if they haven't had a greater desire for the things of God? So I think, Christians, we make a lot of mistakes by judging people outside the church. God's going to take care of that. We'd be much better fit to take seriously and have the courage to confront people who are inside. I think that's the most harder thing. It's easy to say those people out there, but when I have to look Mark in the eye and say, hey, come on, man. That's what takes true Christian courage. So, yeah, great question. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Hmm. You like to go to this passage because this passage teaches us to confront sinners. Where specifically does this passage teach us that? Yeah. So 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter. All right, he writes 13 New Testament books. Here's the last one. He's getting into like the closing chapter, and he loves his dear son Timothy, and he wants him to be a good pastor. So he says, yeah, don't forget about the Bible. Preach the word. All scriptures God breathed, so it's not my teaching. It's not James and John's teaching. It's from the Spirit. And notice that phrase, all scriptures God breathed, and it's useful for teaching rebuking, which is calling out, correcting, which is another way of saying you're wrong, (laughs) I got to correct you, and training in righteousness. So two of the four things that Paul mentions the Bible is useful for are rather confrontational. So in his mind, the work of a pastor, the work of a Christian has a really good chunk where there's going to be people who are off, maybe they don't know it, I got to correct them. There's going to be people who are being stubborn, you have to have the courage to rebuke them. If you're going to protect the church and protect sound doctrine, this has to be a huge part. I'm going to grab my Bible because it's God-breathed. I'm going to rebuke people who need to be rebuked. And I wonder if we were taking a survey of listeners, like how many people would say, oh yeah, I'm great at that. (laughs) I think probably the opposite is true, right? So it's so easy to stray from the path. Hmm. Sin pushes us off the path. The devil pushes us off the path. The world pushes us off the path. Mm -hmm. And when we are off the path, we need a brother or a sister yeah. who will push us back on the path. Yeah, That's what we're getting at here, right? That's true. You've interviewed Paul Calpine, right? I have. Your old soccer coach. My old soccer coach. Have I ever told you about the time he very bluntly rebuked me? You did on, yeah. this, on this very <laughs> podcast. If I remember right, it was yeah. in St. Peter, Minnesota. It was <laughs> halftime of a soccer game. Yes. Wow. Your yeah. memory is shockingly good. <laughs> yeah. And that sticks with you, right? We're I mean, I think we're always so afraid that it's going to blow up and we'll never see that person again. You know, if I confront so-and-so, they won't be my friend. 
I'll tell you what, when I look back on life, I, I really vividly remember those moments where someone had the courage to rebuke me. I remember why they did it. And for the most part, I, I don't, I think more of them because they had the courage to do it. And I can see now like why they did that. I, I needed that. What would have happened to me if I'm arrogantly judging every person like I'm Pele and <laughs> the Lutheran version of Pele, but Paul Calpine and other people, like, no, 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 no. You are not going to behave like that on a Christian team. That's not how we do this. not how God wants us to live. And 25 years later, that just sticks in my brain. So I think we have to believe that. God has a good purpose. If someone really is led by the Spirit, they'll receive that rebuke. If they hate you, well, that's between them and Jesus. But let's not let the devil assume, just like he does with confession, that confrontation will always be bad. It's not how Jesus saw it. It's not how Paul saw it. And it's definitely not how the scriptures see it. Patience is a part of this, right? Mm. It's like sharing the gospel with someone. You're planting a seed, and we don't know yeah. how, when that seed will take root. Yep. Also, if I confront someone about their sin, they might not take it so well initially, but yes. in time, the hope and the prayer is that they will take that rebuke yeah. seriously, thoughtfully, and it will, it will make the difference that we hope it, it does. Yeah. Are you like this? When someone rebukes me, I'm super moody for maybe the first two hours. And then after the emotions calm down, the Holy Spirit like helps me to see it. And then within a day, I'm reaching out to that person and having a really healthy conversation. So I like your word, patience. Like, Don't back someone into a corner and say, right now I'm going to confront you and you need to say the right thing. Speak the truth. Speaking in love, confront them like you would want to be confronted, and then just back up and let the Spirit and the Word work. You planted a seed. It might take some time to grow into the fruit of full repentance. And I think there's also something to the idea that uh, if I'm going to make this a habit of helping others see their sin hmm. in love, mm -hmm. that I, I want to be extra careful with my Christian living yes. and, and live above reproach, so to speak, hmm. Because it's so easy to turn the tables. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it absolutely is. Yeah, people, because of their sinful flesh, will look for anything they can do to get out of that accusation that they've really sinned. So it's incredible. Our brains will remember everything wrong this person has done, right? And oh, who are you to talk? Um, that's why I love, I sometimes call it the golden rule of confrontation, where I want to come just... Uh, Glenn Schmiege is a pastor who taught me the phrase dripping love. Like, if I was confronting you, right? Like, hey, Mark, I want to talk to you, and it's going to be hard to hear. I want you to know I love you. I want you to know I've messed this up too. But I've kind of been watching and noticed a pattern of behavior. And here's where in the Bible it says that that's not okay with God. And you know, maybe this is breaking your heart too, but I haven't, I haven't sensed that in you. So am I wrong? There's a way to confront someone with a lot of humility, uh, with gentleness and respect. I think what most of us do is we bottle it up because we're scared to say it, and then eventually it just comes bubbling out in a really unhealthy, pretty harsh way, and we snap on someone, and then it's really hard to kind of rebuild that relationship. But if you can prep with a lot of prayer and come with a lot of humility, giving a person an, an easy road of repentance— like, that's a great way to love people and help correct them with Scripture and get them back on the right path. Yeah, I love how you're getting very practical here as we close. Yeah. Another part of that is finding common ground hmm. 
right? Like we bring the scripture in and, and we will agree that this type of behavior, this type of attitude, this type of action, God does not approve of, correct? Right? I mean, get, 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 help them see that. Yeah. Uh, I love even having an open Bible on the table. Yeah. Um, so if the person wants to distract and say, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? I mean, it's, I'm going to just keep gesturing to this passage and say, you might be right. That's a good topic for another day. But I think the reason I wanted to talk to you today is because of verse 10, which is saying just the opposite of how you're living. So let the Holy Spirit be the center of attention. Let the Word, which is inspired by God, get that person's attention. Um, they're going to try to escape, so keep them connected to the Word. is one of the best things you can do. And I guess at some point, if if it's just not going well, uh, there there has to be a time where we use our, our God-given wisdom and say, okay, maybe another time, and we just yep. back off. Yep, I think that's wise. Uh, Matthew 18, where Jesus kind of walks through these steps— I think it sh- it should take a little bit to get from one step to the other. So it's not like I confront you, you don't take it well. In two hours, I'm going to come back with two or three witnesses. <laughs> like I'm going to give you some time to let that seed grow, and maybe if I don't see a change of behavior or sense any repentance, I'll come back on that. But yeah, you're right. These are big chapters that take a little while to get through. All right. Well, thank you, Pastor Mike, for enlightening us on these two important areas of uh, brotherly concern for one another, yeah, and continued blessings on your ministry here in Appleton at the core and with Time of Grace. Thank you very much. We'll do this again sometime. I hope we can. All right, very good. And folks, uh, let's make this our closing prayer. Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. Thank you for listening to Impact, a ministry of St. Andrew Lutheran Church in Middleton, Wisconsin. If you have a question or feedback to share, send an email to impact at saint-andrew-online.org. Please tell your friends and family about Impact and keep this ministry in your prayers. Impact is new every Monday and all past episodes are available. The greater you understand scripture, the greater impact it will have on your life.